Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. Focusing on a negative, that's never going to lead you to a positive result. Being told that you can't do something or that you can't have something because of the consequences that are associated with it, well, that has a well-documented history of failure throughout the history of man. It's the reason that most diets fail or it's at least the reason that diets don't provide the long-term results that we want. And it's the inherent flaw in the American criminal justice system. Both diets and the criminal justice system, they have at their core a behavior slash consequence mentality. Meaning that you can't eat this or you'll gain weight. You can't eat that or you might get fat. You can't do this or you can't do that or you might get in trouble or you might go to jail. When we are told that we can't do something or have something, even if we didn't want to have that thing to begin with, we have a tendency to think about it, to crave it, to want it, and to even obsess over it. Perhaps even more dangerous than the obsession is the human mind's ability to justify and rationalize things. If a want or a craving is bad enough, then we can minimize the consequences, or we can even justify them. As many of us begin the recovery journey, we believe that getting sober means giving up alcohol. It means giving up drugs, and it means giving up the life that we are used to and the life that we're comfortable with. And on one level, recovery does require that we remove certain things from our life. But it also provides us with things to replace them with. At that early stage in our recovery, though, many of us are incapable of appreciating the concept of replacement, and we only see it as a removal. Many of us believe that a life lived without alcohol or without those substances is somehow less than a life lived with them. That a life lived in recovery is one that we settle for, rather than one that we choose. For generations, companies have spent billions of dollars in advertising to manipulate us into thinking this way. This type of negative thinking, it sets the stage for failure, or at the very least, for a forced, unhappy, and uncomfortable sobriety, rather than a sustainable and lasting one. While I can only speak for myself, I didn't stop drinking just so that I could be miserable in a new and different way. I quit drinking because I was tired of the misery. I was tired of surviving each and every day, and I wanted to start living them. The root cause of our issues with alcohol and substances, it isn't a biological one or even a moral one, but rather it's a societal one. We've been taught that a drink or a drug is some type of a reward. How many commercials and advertisements have you seen where a man or a woman, after a hard day's work, is rewarded with a cold beer or with a glass of wine? Because of this programming, we all want the reward. We work hard, just like everyone else, 
So why shouldn't we get the rewards that we see others receive? This type of social conditioning, it's confused us. And it's left us embracing the very things that are keeping us sick. Another part of the problematic equation is language, or more specifically, the words that we use. Simply speaking, the word sober, well, it means something completely different for those of us that are in recovery and for those that aren't. Even with that, though, there are many people that are in the rooms of recovery that interchange the words sobriety and recovery indiscriminately. The words are just part of our common vocabulary. And because of that, there's often an implication that sobriety and recovery are the same things, but they're not. While the word sober has a very specific technical Webster's definition, it has a very vague, practical, real-life one. Sobriety is a vehicle. It's nothing more and it's nothing less. It's a lifestyle choice, one that can transport us to a life of recovery. But then, what is recovery? Well, recovery, recovery is a life that you don't feel the need to escape every day. It's a life of peace, a life that you can live without being a slave to a substance or to a form of toxic thinking. To be sober is to simply be free of the effects of substances. But that alone, that alone can't set us free, and it never will. The absence of drugs and alcohol, it's merely the start. It's the key that turns the lock, or as I mentioned earlier, it's the vehicle. But sobriety alone, it isn't freedom. Over the years, I have known many people that have used their harsh willpower to remove drugs and alcohol from their life. But even after the removal of the drugs and alcohol, they weren't happy, and they certainly weren't in any form of recovery. As a matter of fact, I was one of those people for quite some time. For nine months, under the threat of my wife leaving me and taking my children, I put the bottle down. But that's all that I did. I didn't do any work on myself, and I didn't try to get honest. I didn't investigate why I needed alcohol so bad in the first place. In the 12-step rooms, we often refer to this type of brutal abstinence as white-knuckling it. Meaning that we're clinging desperately to abstinence that we're holding on for dear life, that we're simply trying to survive another day. While I can only speak for myself, those nine months of abstinence for me, they were miserable. Yes, I mean, I physically felt better, and some of the health issues that surrounded my drinking and drugging, they got better. But emotionally, I was just as sick as I had been with a drink in my hand. In some ways, I was even more sick than I had ever been before. I was still a liar. I was still a manipulator. And I still felt like a perpetual victim. I was actually far angrier than when I had actually been drinking. Instead of seeing my wife's ultimatum as a desperate plea to save our relationship and to save my life, I saw it as her selfishly taking my toys away from me for her taking from me the only coping mechanism I knew how to use. I grew more and more resentful, and regardless of what her motivations may have been, it backfired, and I weaponized her desperation against her and the other people in my life. 
I used her ultimatum as a justification for feeling that my forced sobriety was some kind of a gift that I had bestowed upon the people in my life, those people that loved me and cared for me. And I kept a running ledger of those that I believe owed me for that undeserved loan that I had given them. I used her pleas to justify my continued self-destructive behavior. As some of you know, my wife and son, they were killed in an auto accident in February of 2017. The date of their funeral, well, that just happens to be the date that my forced abstinence ended. Some might call me picking the drink back up a relapse, and even I have referred to it as such. But if I am honest with myself and with you, it wasn't a relapse. It was just the end of a prolonged delay in my drinking and using. When my wife and stepson died, I lost my reason to stay sober. I lost the immediate consequences of my drinking, and I lost the begrudging motivation that it provided. Because of that, I lost any meaningful reason to take care of myself or to deny myself a drink any longer. Add to that the sweet taste of other people's pity over my wife and son's death, and I had a recipe for a self-righteous self-destruction. Thankfully, my mad run to a drug and alcohol-fueled death, it was interrupted but what I can only imagine to be some form of divine intervention. Even with this divine intervention, I never intended to actually stay sober, at least not for the long term. I only intended to stay sober as long as it took, as long as it took to fix my problems and shut people up, and then I could go back to my normal life, my normal drinking and my normal use. I didn't know what recovery was, and I certainly didn't want the holier-than-thou ex-drinker attitude that I perceived that existed. Somehow, though, without meaning to, I slowly but surely found myself working on recovery, rather than just sobriety. Recovery, real, lasting, and sustainable recovery, it's as much about abandoning what we think we know, as it is about learning a new way of thinking. Or a new way of living. We have to understand and accept that sobriety isn't the end goal. It can't be. Because for many of us, we abide by that definition of sobriety that we talked about earlier. Webster's Dictionary defines sober as, quote, not intoxicated, end quote, or, quote, abstaining from drinking alcohol or taking intoxicating drugs, end quote. When most people use the word sober or sobriety, they think of that dictionary definition mentioned above. And by most people, I mean even those of us that are in the recovery rooms, especially those of us in our early recovery, or especially those in those tentative moments when we know that we need to stop drinking or using, but the thought of not having the substance, that terrifies us. In that definition, there isn't a single word insinuating or suggesting that sobriety requires anything more than simple abstinence. The common definition of sobriety is one of removal. It's one of absence, or better yet, it's one of subtraction. Should we follow that definition to be sober? All that we have to do is subtract the alcohol and drugs. However, countless people that have picked their drug of choice back up after a period of staunch sobriety or abstinence only to see it take an even greater hold on them 
they're going to tell you that that definition, that that concept, it's wrong. Long-term, healthy recovery, it does require us to subtract the alcohol and the drugs from our life. And it also requires that we subtract toxic and flawed thinking patterns, dishonesty, and manipulative behaviors. But the journey of recovery, it doesn't end with the removal of these things. Because if it did, we would soon realize that there's a void existing within us. And that void can't be left empty. While we can all appreciate that alcohol and drugs and the toxic thinking are bad, we can't pretend that they didn't have a significant place in our lives. Because they did. Many of us start the recovery journey after decades of active use. And because of this, our drug of choice and the behaviors and the thinking associated with them, they've become a part of us. They've become a part of who and what we are, or at least who and what we think we are. In some ways, removing these things from our life, it's like removing a limb. It's like amputation. While removing these things from your life is good and it will stop the toxicity from spreading, it can leave a gaping hole. The mistake that many people make is that they remove the toxic substances and the behaviors from their life, but they neglect to fill the hole in with anything else. If you don't consciously choose to fill that hole with something good, the world will choose something to fill it with for you. Like weeds in an untended garden, unwanted thoughts and dangerous behaviors, they'll move in. And they'll try and fill that space that you left behind. After you've subtracted all of the bad, recovery gives you the tools to start adding healthy ideas, healthy relationships, and healthy behaviors back into your life. Contrary to what so many of us believe in the early days of our contemplative recovery, the objective of a life lived in recovery isn't to have less but rather to open ourselves up to the possibility of having more. The only person's recovery that I'm qualified to discuss is my own. And because of that, I can tell you that my life in recovery, my life without drugs or alcohol, it's opened the door to a life. It's opened the door to a life far more abundant than anything that I could have ever imagined. Now, I'm not rich in a monetary sense, and I probably never will be. But what recovery has shown me is that wealth isn't defined by dollars and cents, but rather in the hugs of your children, in the tender moments with your partner, and in the peace of mind that you feel when you rest your head on your pillow at night. A common mantra thrown around in the 12-step rooms is that we have to lose to win, meaning that we have to lose our battle with a substance or with addiction in order to win a life in recovery. What we have to come to understand is that when we abandon alcohol and drugs and choose another life, we aren't losing anything of quantitative value. Rather, we're losing liabilities. We're removing those from our life. We're removing those things that create more problems than they solve. We're removing the things that keep us from reaching our true potential. Across the globe, companies spend millions and even billions of dollars each and every year to identify the liabilities that exist within their companies. They do this because they want to minimize their losses and they want to maximize their gains.
As human beings, we're no different. So today, let's change the way that we talk about and think about sobriety, and also the way that we think about and talk about recovery. Let's stop believing that recovery is about losing anything, or it's about subtraction, but rather that it's about addition, that it's about providing us with an overwhelming wealth of potential in our life.